In the name of the one holy and undivided Trinity. Amen. I was reminded this week of a tweet from 2019. You know, tweets are those things that are on Twitter. Twitter's that social media thing that somehow takes up a lot of space in some of our lives. At any rate, the tweet said this. This is a gentle reminder that one time in the Bible, Elijah was like, God, I'm so mad. I want to die. So God said, here's some food. Why don't you have a nap? So Elijah slept, ate and decided things weren't so bad. Never underestimate the spiritual power of a nap and a snack. (laughs) Short and sweet, this is the summary that some of us may need of Elijah's experience today. It may be all that you need, some rest and nourishment, and I hope that you do find it here in our scriptures, in our prayers, in our music, and the Eucharist. And while the sermon could end here, chalked up to perhaps the shortest sermon in the cathedral, or at least ranking in the top five, I do have more to say. Let's start with putting today's reading in context. We are in the first two volumes that tell of Israel's fall. We might wonder why the first two volumes that tell of Israel's rise are named after the prophet Samuel, but the fall of Israel is called First and Second Kings. Nonetheless, within these two books, we have battles, monarchical, it's a hard word, I shouldn't have included it, successions, plenty of history. There is so much drama. And throughout the story, there are two prophets, Elijah and Elisha. But Elijah's story begins with King Ahab. King Ahab is the descendant of Omri and begins his reign during the 28th year of Israel. They are a young kingdom. And King Ahab, we are told, is the most evil of all the kings, or at least of all his predecessors. King Ahab gives Israel over to the worship of Baal, B-A-A-L, not B-A-L-L. In the South, we say Baal. He breaks the covenant with Yahweh. And this is where Elijah's story begins. Elijah is sent by God to warn Ahab of a great drought and famine. And the drought, we are told, is a consequence of Ahab's unfaithfulness to Yahweh. Now, these are the stories that some of us might remember about Elijah. God sends him out into the wilderness where he meets the widow of Zarephath. And together, they make a way through the drought and the famine, including Elijah healing her son. There is a great confrontation between Ahab and Elijah. Elijah rebuilds the altar of Yahweh and brings back the people into covenant. And as a result, Elijah witnesses the killing of all of Baal's prophets. Queen Jezebel, Ahab's wife, is not happy. She is so angry that she says to Elijah that she will do to him 
what he has done to her prophets. And thus begins today's reading. For some reason, this is the moment that breaks Elijah. He maybe is afraid of Queen Jezebel's power. Maybe he's just tired, but he is ready to give up. It doesn't matter what he has accomplished, although Elijah will tell Yahweh twice all that he has done. He's survived a drought. He's healed the widow's son. He's defeated Baal's prophets. Whatever it is, reminiscent of Hagar, Abraham's concubine from so long ago, he sets out into the wilderness to die alone. It is enough, he says, and he sits under a solitary broom tree. He cannot see the good. He only feels defeat. I wonder, have you ever been there? Have you looked at your life laid out before you and seen or imagined only failure? Have you ever wondered that there was nothing left for you and it would be better for you to die than face the future? As Elijah sleeps under the broom tree, something happens. He awakes to food and water. And it is more food and water than he even needs right then. Here is enough provision to get him to Mount Horeb, Horeb also known as Mount Sinai. This is sacred geography. Those same ancestors that he just derided earlier camped here for quite some time. The covenant with Yahweh was established here. Moses may have camped in this very cave where Elijah takes his rest. And so it is no surprise then that we hear God's voice. Now the conversations between God and God's people are always so very interesting to me. There is absolutely no small talk. And let's diverge for just a moment and think about Jonah. Do you remember Jonah? This is such a good story. Jonah's eaten by a big fish. It's so great. And in every single moment, God says to Jonah, what are you doing? And every single time, Jonah says, well, I'm avoiding you. But I'll go do what you want me to do. And then Jonah is successful. The people of Nineveh confess. They're forgiven. They celebrate and revel in God's mercy. And Jonah gets so mad. He goes out and he finds a tree. Does that sound familiar? And he sits under it and he says, I'd just rather die. God says, are you angry at my mercy for my people? And Jonah says, yes, enough to die. And God tries to give the same mercy that he's given to the people of Nineveh to Jonah. 
These exchanges between the prophets and God feel so very real to me. They seem not so different from my own prayers and the gentle voice of God's mercy in my life. How many times have I gone to God in absolute despair? How often do I tell the story to God from my own self-righteous perspective? Haven't I been good? Haven't I done all the right things? Or maybe I see my whole life as a failure and I think, well, there's nothing left for me to do. I just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Don't I have a right to expect things to go my way, whatever my way is? And God sends Elijah back to Damascus, back to his community, where God is busy at work among all the people. It is Elijah's responsibility as Yahweh's prophet to return and minister among the people. Now, of course, there is so much more to this story. We have but a glimpse of all that happens between Yahweh and Elijah and Ahab and Jezebel. And here are some of the oldest and finest historical dramas. It is some of the finest storytelling. Not all miracles and parables, but Israel's history laid out before us, and it looks a whole lot like our own a reminder that all these stories are an attempt to tell the story of humanity. And along the way, we have some theology to guide us, some vivid descriptions of Israel's and God's work together in the world. We search these stories for knowledge about our own world and ourselves, and we wonder how they tell us about God's actions in our lives. We don't just read the story of Elijah, Ahab, and Jezebel as history. We are looking for clues. Who is God? How does God act? Who is Elijah? How does God work through humanity? Who are we? Who am I? How am I related to all these people of Israel or any of the characters in the story? So here's some theology for us from Elijah. God is God, and we are not. We have ideas and plans for how things will work, how the world should go. And then there's God, creator of the universe, overflowing with mercy and grace beyond our understanding. God's judgments are God's alone. And while we try to control or influence the outcome, God is God, and we are not. God is present at all times. In the drought, with the widow and her son, with the people, even as they worship other gods. With Elijah, as he sleeps under the broom tree, ready to die, in the loneliness, in the community. God is in all places, and all of God is everywhere. And there is always, always the next right thing. 
Maybe it is crying out in despair. Maybe it's getting a snack or taking a nap. Maybe it's wandering around in the wilderness until we find our people. Or maybe it's offering ourselves for the healing of another. Or maybe it's putting away other gods and turning towards God. Maybe it's getting back to the work God has given us to do, even in our despair and loneliness. But God, God is in every step. If we are in moments of despair, alone and afraid, may you know and may we know that we're not alone. Whatever our next right thing might be, whatever it is, we are in it together, and God is with us. If we are wondering what next, may we be rest assured that there is more than one right way. God is God, and we are not, and all will be well. Whatever is happening in our hearts and our souls and our minds, come rest at this table where there is enough nourishment for whatever is next. For God is with us in our loneliness, in our grief, in our despair, in our joy, and in our rest. Take a moment and rest in God's mercy and grace. For God is in all times and all places, and all of God is everywhere.